1: For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A X I A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Kevin Connery to the Phil Acrosophy podcast. Kevin is the head coach at the University of Michigan. And uh, really excited to have him on. How you doing, Kev?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, let's um, let's dive right into your lacrosse journey. Tell us kind of how you got started. Who are your early mentors, and how you ended up
2: at Hopkins? Sure. You know, I, I you know I went to a high school. It's probably one of the lesser known high schools on Long Island, Holy Trinity High School. We competed in the Catholic League against St. Anthony's and Shalmanes. You know, your traditional powerhouses, and uh, got our butts whooped pretty often. You know, and that was back in the day with the Long Island Empire team. I was really fortunate to make that select team, where it got you in the forefront of the recruiting atmosphere. You know, when we were growing up, and and went through it. There's no, there was no clubs, right? There was. Yeah. You played high school ball. You played in a maybe a fall pickup league, and you you went to two or three camps. And then you had the opportunity in New York to play for the Empire. So um, I was really fortunate there. And that started my my journey. And one of the things that I've always kind of, I, I was a lacrosse junkie, absolute lacrosse junkie in high school. And anything I can get my hands on, old games. I remember I had the, the Carolina-Syracuse uh, national championship games. I've had the, the world game highlights. And somebody that always stuck out, especially from the world game highlights, was Brian Volker. Brian Volker, when he played on Team USA, was a guy that I just, I I wanted to emulate his game as much as possible. Obviously, you know, uh, Brian's a special player. You know, you can't walk into a a field and and just be Brian Bolker. So, but, you know, the Hopkins connection, he was actually at Hopkins during the time and started the recruiting process with me and, um, you know, went down there, had a couple opportunities, different places. Uh, I was fortunate to have some okay grades and get you, into spots where, you know, you could further yourself and maybe get yourself a school that it would expand your educational opportunities. And, and uh, I got a great opportunity at Johns Hopkins and jumped all over it. Um, quickly realized that it wasn't Holy Trinity Dias since my whole high school anymore, you know, uh, with some of the great players that I had, to, I had been fortunate enough to be around and learn from, um, you know, kind of created a little niche for myself in, in that, Program for four years, where it's more like you know, you kind of equate me to a special teams player, right? Just kind of a grunt goes out there, you know, does a couple dirty work, does the dirty work for a couple minutes, and then pops out, you know. So, Um, but what I did pick up, and I had a chance to learn from Dave Petramala, the head coach at the time. um, His first year at Hopkins was my freshman year, you know. So um, that just means I'm dating myself now, right? So (laughs) I'm getting older. (laughs) I remember like it was yesterday, but it it certainly was not. Um, Yeah. You know, and, you know, learn so much from him in terms of, you know, how to prepare, how to, you know, how to be a defenseman. And when, you're, when you're a young defenseman and you have Dave Petromala as a mentor, you know, it's easy to kind of progress and, and learn. And, um, you know, I was more of a student of the game and all of the stuff, you know, that, that I do now is more think three steps ahead because I'm not going to be as athletic as some of these guys. And those were the days, you know, Mikey Powell would play against Mikey Powell in those years. And some of the great teams Syracuse had maybe was a big, uh, big rival of those hours. So um, having that aspect in the game helped me to be a contributor. And then just kind of picked my way through it, got an opportunity and, and loved lacrosse. School, you know, I did fine in school, you know, but at the end of it, you're looking at what your educational experience was as an Olympic sport athlete I learned so much through lacrosse that my real world applications were limitless in terms of work ethic, you know, uh, time management, just grinding it out through adversity, handling success are things that I was really, uh, that I took away from that experience, but I didn't have a professional track. And so I graduated from college. I was like, "Ah, I'll go to grad school, be a teacher, you know, teacher, and maybe coach lacrosse. Um, And then I went to, Four-star lacrosse camp, and in 2000, in the summer of 2004, I was with my high school coach, Marcelo Sandoval, and he introduced me to Brian Brecht, who just got the Siena coaching job. And he was like, "I'm looking for a assistant." I'm like, "I'm looking for a job," and it was just, it was like, "Hey, how are you? You want to do this?" I was like, "Yeah, sure," you know, and then didn't think anything of it and just said, "Yeah, sure, I can do that." You know, I love it. And, um, started grad school at the University of Albany and coaching at Siena College. What, what year was that? And that, was, that was 2005. So, 2005, I started my coaching career that summer, uh, moved up to the Capital District from Long Island, and, and had a really great experience. And that was another incredible mentor to have. Um, and, and Brian taught me so much about the process of building a program, you know, and kind of the grind it out. And, you know, early failures equal long term successes. And you know, taught me to be diligent and recruit, and recruit, and recruit, and recruit how to do it because it, you know, that's something you don't just walk in and know how to do in the recruiting process. You have an idea, you can talk to people, um, but the process of building it has been very impressive. And and Brian has been uh, a very good recruiter over the last, you know, uh, for his whole career. And funny enough, I met Brian, um, when my brother, my older brother, who played the cross of the Holy Trinity, too, ended up going to Merrimack College. Uh, when Brian, when Coach Brecht was at, I don't remember what school was that, but he recruited my older brother to go to college too. So I had a chance to kind of get introduced to him really, really early on. Yeah. So he was a he was a really great influence. Yeah, um,
1: a great first mentor, just a great guy. You know, who just cares? Cares. He a does lot, a lot about people.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, that's that's kind of how you, the forming of an identity because my 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 coaching. Mentorship was Coach Petro, and uh, and then my my professional development started with with Brian, and it was a it was it was a great indoctrination because it was it was like okay here we go it was zero to sixty let's go and then we ranked it up to a hundred um, and we were on there and it was great because as much learning as I was doing on you know just the ins and out how to grow a program and what it means to be a cross coach you know eighty five percent of your time is in the office doing all the setup so that you can go on, you know, onto the field for that extra time and, and do what you love to do. So you have to prepare to go and be on the field. And that was something that I learned because it was great to learn all of that because when we got on the field, it was, you know, all right, here we go. Go get it kiddo. You know, it wasn't like, Hey, I want you to do this, 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 and this. And it was like, here's a general idea. Let's talk about concepts. Okay. Formulate how you want to, how you want to build this thing. And he gave me a lot of leeway and latitude to, to be um, – just just kind of be my own person and figure it out, which was awesome. It was it's awesome. Huge. You don't always it get really that
1: was. chance as a young assistant either to 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 actually put your fingerprints on something. You just oftentimes are just kind of watching for the first few years, you know.
2: Yeah. It's kind of – you know, I – yeah, you know, I was doing a lot of everything. I was cutting tape. I was figuring out the technology. I was, you know, figuring out how to recruit. I was figuring out how to coach defense. I was work, figuring out how to work with goalies. All things that I've never really done before, but just yeah. started doing it. Um, there was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of, well, that didn't work. Well, let's try something else. You know, and a lot of dipping back into some things that we did um, through Coach Petro and Coach Duran that really helped kind of bolster that up. So, how many years were you there? I was there for uh, two years, two years, two seasons, and then shifted over to Penn State under Glenfield, and that was a completely different experience. Obviously, two totally different schools, different ways the programs are run, different ways, uh, different stylistically, you know, um, so, uh, but that was another awesome learning experience between uh, Glenfield as the head coach, and then Guy Van Arsdale was there as an assistant, and I learned a lot from those two. Really good. So that
1: did. was what, 07, 08, or in 07 you started there?
2: Yeah. Oh seven season. oh seven, oh eight. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. The so, pioneers
1: came to uh, state college, uh, game first year. opener. Yeah. My, that was my first trip to state college actually indoor. Yeah, learned,
2: that yeah. was one really big learning ex- experience for me. Cause that, you know, and, and walked away from that and did a lot of the things that I thought needed to be done. And then guy, guy coach Van Arsdale really like, you know, taught me a new lesson through that one. And I, you know, I feel like we can walk away and that played so well that game. Had such a talented team um, that uh, got away a little bit from what we were, who we were as a defense in order to kind of, because of your style and the way, how much talent you guys had on that roster. And it really made me think, it was like, why don't we just be the best we could be? And, and Coach Van was really influential in building that brand. And that identity, you know, and as you go along, you know, you have Coach Petro, Coach Breck, Coach Guy, Coach Steele. Yep. You know, those people really kind of help shame and and shape your um, identity and what works, what doesn't work, what do you like, what do you don't like. And um, That Coach was the very ago. early
1: days of the pair's offense that we ran that. Yeah, I remember that.
2: Yeah. And 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 I can well, step back right now and think back, I have no idea how many years ago. What what year is it right now? But, you know, we overthought that. I overthought that, you know. Instead of just being athletic and worry about, hey, win this matchup right in front of you, we overthought it for a full week, and it, and it bit us right in the tush. And I think that was one of the beauties of the Pairs offense early on. It was like yeah. everybody's overthinking all of this because of the Canadian connection and all that. And um, so, you know, the nuances of it. That, that a lot of us you know, who didn't grow up understanding a lot of the pairs or Canadian influence, you know, that really – you made your, your mind spin and you had to, oh, we got to do something creative to break this up, and it was just – you don't need to do that, you know, so.
1: And I think you yeah. guys had this incredibly athletic midfielder that um, ends up winning a couple Super Bowls with my favorite team, the
2: Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was on that team, yeah. That was his freshman, sophomore year. And yeah, he was, he was, he um, a, he was a special athlete, you yeah. know, still end, have been like two but for
1: 20, but, but he was a special athlete.
2: He couldn't hit the blinds out of a barn, but he, he could run by anybody, you know, <laughs> but you saw the progression. You know, I, I got a chance to play with Kyle Harrison. Now, Kyle was that, that special athlete that um, kind of mimicked, you know, Kyle could have gone on and played, you know, big time college basketball or something like that. But you get Kyle on the lacrosse field, he'd shake anybody and, and break some ankles. And then the ball would be all the way, you know, hitting, hitting, uh, you know, hitting the apartment buildings across from home and field. Um, but you can see the progression and, you know, you saw it in Chris too, because I think by his senior year, he was breaking people down, running by and then able to kind of step in and find the cage. And, and it's credit to him because he put a lot of time and effort into his shooting. Oh yeah,
1: no doubt. Kyle Harrison, we didn't really talk about him much, but. I kind of feel like the fact that he went to a jump shot really helped corral his shot and gave him the kind of deceptiveness he needed to be able to just be an athlete and throw it hard.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think when he changed that jump shot it changed and cause he could put it the one thing about Kyle and what he progressed to, he was one of the first guys I saw shooting your side consistently mm-hmm. where he would shimmy and shake on that right-hand alley. And a lot of these right-hand goalies were anticipating a, the far side, you know, uh, a far side, you know, high and low, and he's jumping. All of a sudden, okay, it's going to be here, and he would put it right there, you know, and no. and uh, and it was he did it consistently, and again, it was a credit to his work ethic. I mean, there's a reason why you win the tour, time. you know, you, yeah, you can work your tail off, and we well, also some-
1: create so much separation that it was no problem to like s- set your feet on a jump shot. <laughs> you know, not everybody has quite that athleticism, Hogan did too, obviously.
2: Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that because he ran by me all the time in practice. So we had plenty of time to work on that jump shot with a lot of space. So I'm going to take a little bit of responsibility for that. Um,
1: um, uh, what came next?
2: Fairfield. Fairfield with Andy Copeland. What year? And we went there, in uh, first season was nine. I was at Penn State for two years, right? So it's uh, seven and eight. Ended up there in um, fall of 08, season of 09. What an what an awesome opportunity that was to watch a young coach take over a program, and use some influences because he had just come from Dave Cottle, and kind of see how he he kind of organized things, which was really neat. And that was another opportunity where it was you know, um, Kev just take care of this side, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of that side, and we'll just you know do what you need to do. Uh, but at the same time to watch him build a culture and watch him kind of lay out some finer points about what to do, how important it was off the field and how to, how off the field mimics so much on the field. So um, I thought that was a really uh, interesting way to look at it. And, and he had incredible men, uh, mentors too. And yeah. Watching him shape this program that, uh, you know, like everything, you, you take over something, there's is obviously things you would do differently, you know, and, and it's been around for a while and, and Fairfield had, had good success, um, some, some great seasons, some great players. Um, but now it was an opportunity for him to take up so much what he learned from Maryland and incorporate that into that system and into that school. And, um, really big influence in my life too, because of, it was like freedom, but it was also like, help me boost his culture. Yeah. And, uh, can't say it was perfect. It was a perfect experience for, you know, the the four years I was there, but I learned a lot from him. Yeah. What a great
1: place, too. I actually um, coached at Yale for eight years and lived in Fairfield for four of those years. Um, great yeah. town. Great
2: place. Awesome great place. Town. Beautiful school. Yeah. Beautiful school, right on the water. My wife and I really enjoyed it there. We had some great friends, great great relationships built that we still see, each other, see them uh, to this day. And uh, we were in South Norwalk, which was a cool little town right on the water, and we had, there was a dock bar that you could walk to from our apartment and just sit out on the water, have you know fresh oysters or steamed shrimp, and just watch the boats go by. It was it was, it was a neat little town, and uh, we were close to where I grew up, too, so you know heading down to Long Island it was easy to see my parents and all that. Yeah, nice. And then uh,
1: from there down to uh,
2: College Park? Down to College Park. Yeah, you know, and um, the two thousand thirteen season was my first one. You know, and you had they had just come off um, final fours and national championship games. They had just had a tough national championship game loss, and um, you know, I was I was coming in and taking over for Kevin Warren. Who, if you know Kevin, he, he's personality. He's got personality coming out of his eyeballs, right? So, you know, and and I made the conscious choice to be, you know, not Kevin. You know, I'm not him. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to help the program grow. And I'm going to live within the confinements of Coach Tillman. And I learned a lot there as well about, you know, player relationships and um, building a culture and uh, um, fundamentally sound and strong. And um, it was, uh, that was, that was a learning experience because we went so far every year almost. Outside of my first year, we were, we were consistently in the final four. Uh, got an opportunity playing some championship games, and finally in '17, got over the hump a little bit, and and pulled one out, which was uh, still it gives me shivers and uh, you know up my spine. So it was pretty neat yeah, having you that guys experience. Were
1: consistently so good. Um, obviously, you had great players, um, but you really had seems to me like a, a culture of team first. And I'm just curious, you know, how you uh, helped Coach Tills build that.
2: No, I, you know, I, I can't say that, I don't know if I, I, I that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think one of the things that was really important to me was that as we were doing things in our defensive end in our small drills and our development aspects, I couldn't be everywhere at once, right? So you had to make sure that your older players, the guys that have played significant minutes, know the themes, know the concepts, guys like Isaiah Davis, Allen and Matt Dunn and, and, Timmy Muller and Bryce Young they they can take the younger players aside and say coach I got this one you you take this one or I could take one and they're like hey just take care of this drill let's get the final points done um you know what is the old is the the best teams coach themselves right you know and so it's huge it's it's huge because you know you're as lacrosse coaches we're outgunned we're outmanned every day the ratio with you know three coaches to 50 athletes Mm -hmm. it's you know it's not ideal so when you have a group of uh, kids like that that can coach themselves and really boost up the younger players to catch them up quicker goes a long way and i think that was always the most um, the best part of that culture there was they take care of their own they build them up they make sure that they're uh they're doing it right
1: you know teachings at the top of the learning pyramid right and we know this as coaches i mean there's there's not. There's nothing that makes you learn something more than when you have to think about it enough to teach it, and uh, to be able to employ that as a coach is huge. Are you doing those types of things now, trying to get players to, you know, micromanage or sorry, uh, quality control um, each other as much as possible?
2: Yeah, we are. We are now that we're in year three. Unfortunately, you know, with with this stall of year three, you know, we felt like we were hitting this stride where we had guys who've been in the system now a couple of years, uh, really big personalities and, and guys who um, exuded confidence, but also exuded that that love for the younger players, you know, and for, so, you know, a guy like Peter Holland, you know, probably an unheralded player, but a, a tremendous mentor to younger players. Who, you know, has takes life experiences and lacrosse experiences and helps these young guys progress. You know, uh, Finn Gooden was really good at that this year for us. Guy who played two years in our system can take a younger player aside and say, "Hey, you know, just think about it this way." You know, and so um, bridging that learning curve, you know, and, and having that learning curve kind of shortened a little bit by older players is something that is so important to a program's development
1: you end up taking the job at Michigan uh, had to have been an incredibly exciting, you know, opportunity and also a little daunting because man, what, you know, what a huge job and opportunity that is. Um, yeah. I visited you guys a couple years ago or a year ago, and I was so amazed at how much is going on there and how many resources you guys have at a school like that. It's just the management of that part is the reason why I use the word daunting.
2: Yeah, that was daunting for a couple of different reasons. One, that you first had coaching job. Two, I had a baby three days, five days after I got the job. So, <laughs> uh, you know, managing, managing, you know, a new addition to our family, having two small kids, moving my wife out there while still trying to get out there and kind of figure this whole thing out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, this is um, – it's different, and in, in it, in it requires a different approach. It requires a more of a, a management style, uh, yeah. a different sort of management style where it's, you know, we have different departments who, who are so good and so involved in some of the facets of our, our players' lives that, you know, our, our collectiveness coming together and working on the same page. You know, we, we have, you know, uh, weekly meetings with everybody, academics, athletic, uh, academic support, you know, uh, trainers, strength coaches, nutrition, videos, everybody kind of gets in line and we just kind of go, let's go, let's go through the state of the program, here's a message for the week. So we have a more, um, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a cascade approach of leadership, where you just say, I'm at the top, here it comes, everybody gets the same message, it comes down. Everything we do in terms of our, our leadership and our communication goes through the trees. It, you know, comes from me and then it goes to the different departments. And then from our assistant coaches to different delegates on the team where we organize in, in our tribe system, or scrum system, as we call it. And it kind of goes down almost like a, a phone tree. So we have the line of communication with more personal touches. Instead of me at the top saying, this is what's happening. It's all coming downhill now. And here's the cascade. It's more, you're, even though we're in a massive structure here, it's really important to have personal touches and personal development. Because that's what coaching is, right? You you wanna build personal relationships with your players so they feel more connected to the school, to the program, to their teammates, you know? And so we just, we build a family. And, you know, you have to find a way, no matter what size or scope of the school you're in, you just gotta figure out a way to make those personal touches on a day in and day out basis more effective
1: when you think about where you came from at Siena, where you guys would have to do probably everything and then you get to michigan where you've got resources to to do s- everything you could ever imagine and more it's pretty interesting how much organization it takes just to manage all that stuff you know that's kind of what i alluded to already but um that's uh it's it's really a, it's 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 an awesome Opportunity to have that in a huge task to figure out how to leverage it the best possible.
2: Yeah, no, it is. It's it's it certainly turks, takes your mindset. You know, obviously, when you have to do everything, you have to be super organized right? in, in some of those small smaller capacities. So when you take that same mindset and that same organization and you just you keep people in the biggest, my biggest. It's um, something that I'm constantly evolving and working on is how to be a better communicator. You know, and I feel like in order to be uh, the proper manager of any program, it's how you communicate it to your staff, how you communicate it to your players, how you communicate it to the administration. And if I can continually evolve how I'm being a more effective communicator, then I'm I'm being more effective as the head coach here. You know, communicate the message, communicate the values, communicate, you know, uh, you know where we need to be and what we need to do. So, constantly working on my own personal communication skills is. Uh, you know, it's vital to the success of our overall program.
1: It's amazing when you think about how complex it is to be a division one head coach, how many things you have to be good at. You know, you talk about the organization and and the leadership and then the management and the compliance and the sales. And let's not forget about lacrosse where you need to be an expert on everything, um it's uh it's it's pretty awesome and you know it's kind of like having your first kids i always say being a head new new head coach is like having kids for the first time you can read all the books but you really don't know what you're doing until you know you look back 5 years and you're
2: like oh my gosh i didn't know what i was doing and then <laughs> no you're right um uh, and i think you know uh, being being in that position it's really important to surround yourself with like-minded, well-driven uh, people, you know, and if you don't have an effective staff, then it's it's not it's not going to work, you know. Uh, so I'm really fortunate to have the staff I have, lacrosse coaches, for sure. You know, Coach Terry, Coach Rogasty, Coach Heron are, are excellent coaches, you know, uh, motivators, teachers, developers, which is a big part of it. But then, you know, you have people who let you surround yourself and the university has provided for you. You know the care and quality of those people. You know, you—it's true, right? You you win with people. It is a cliche, "save a night" type of expression. Trust the process. Win with people, right? But it's some degree—it's true. You know, you gotta have great people to be great influences on the young men who are in your program.
1: Yeah, amazing. Um, let's um, let's turn the page in the direction of analytics. (laughs) I was so impressed when I visited you guys in the January of 2019 during the polar vortex. (laughs) Mm. Um, Luckily. I didn't have to go outside. I could, I could travel all over uh, your campus in tunnels. Which is <laughs> but um, I was so impressed with so many things. But the way you're got, you guys use analytics to plan practices uh, to, to influence what you're running on offense or defense, I would love to hear you dive into that a little bit, if you would.
2: Sure, yeah. No, analytics, I think numbers are a big part. Of how you consistently look at your team's performance, right you, we always go the easy ones right goals against goals for face off percentage ground balls all of these things right so numbers is part of our blood and, and so you know it starts at you know where are we getting our most effective shots where are we giving up goals where are we doing all of these percentages so we have our shot charts but that also means we have to we took the same approach to to look at our bodies too and say how are we how are we on the field? being most effective, um, building up a cardiovascular, our, our cardiovascular abilities, you know, so that we're fresh on Saturday, we're in shape, but, you know, we, we don't have heavy legs. So we kind of, you know, we're very fortunate with the resources, we have the heart rate monitors, GPS locators, all those, so when we're, when we have practice, sprint workouts, anything, we collect all of this data and, you know, we, we've created, uh, a data bank of all of our drills, and then we compare how stressful those drills are to the body. There, obviously, we do it by time, we do it by exertion, we do it by physicality, we do it by a lot of these different measurables. Pump it on into one number and say this drill is great for Tuesday because that'll be really hard. This drill is better for Thursday because we're in our taper. You know, so we're we're constantly looking about how we can still maximize our on field uh time without you know doing too little or doing too much you know so it's body maintenance you know uh, load management i think is the new hot term in, yeah. in the nba right um, so we've taken a little bit of approach to that the other side of it is you can't be too analytical there comes a point where you gotta say hey man we just got to toughen them and push through this right so take the analytics there and go okay this is the threshold Right? let's push through that threshold a little bit so that, you know, we have that extra tank, you know, that extra sense to say, this is what we're, we should be, you know, we can go a little bit farther because there's going to come a time where we're going to be in the fourth quarter of a one goal game or in overtime in a big 10 matchup that, that could define your season. We can't be limited by these numbers. We want to push through those. So there's certain moments that you can use analytics to say, this is where we are. This is our threshold. Can we, can we top that? You know, so um, having that, that mental side of it, that, you know, that analytical into that mental push through, uh, the mental toughness peak that we all talk about all the time, about the psych- the psychology of the athlete. Yeah. If you put a number in front of them, a lot of times, like, hey, oh, I hit my number. Okay, I'm good. Um, but that number can't define us. That number can be a threshold. And yeah. there's going to come time where we need to push through that.
1: You know, it's before you had those types of monitors, trying to figure out whether you were pushing too hard or not hard enough was... Yeah. Really one of the biggest mysteries in coaching
2: it really was and, and all of these numbers take take coach's intuition and in your gut and just put a pump some number you know i don't know if we 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 still aren't awesome at it yet you know i think there's still so much learning to do in statistics and we have a you know, sports statistic program that helps us um, kind of put all these things together you know and teaches us because at the end of the day i'm I'm not a statistician either, you know, I'm a political science major, you know, I don't think I took a math class in college, or I didn't do well in that math class, you know, so um, how did those guys give me a framework and say, this is what it means, you know, and so it really helped us after 2019 season, where we had some challenges and some injuries, and say, you know, you're putting a lot of stress in your defense, then, and, and, you know, this guy's, you know, he's overworked. I was like, yeah, because we lose we, we lost every face-off because we didn't have a face-off guy on the roster who was healthy. So this guy had to take face-offs, play wings, be the number one cover guy. Yeah, he's yeah. broken down, right? You know, and you know your attacks not getting enough work. Well they never have the ball, right? So yeah, um, so it's 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 kind of hard for them to get enough work. So we spent a lot of time helping our defensemen get better and, and trying to find ways to be creative to get the ball back. And then the attackman can get the ball. So Uh, we learned a lot about load management but we also learned a lot about you know not relying on load management to be the proper teachers
1: right Right. and it's different you know it's different for every team for every week for every player absolutely Um, and like you said to be able to have the toughness to push through it because you know sometimes you have to win a game when you're exhausted you know like on final four weekend right so i mean there's there's that you know that you probably have thought about like well how do we prepare ourselves to be able to be mentally tough enough to push through when we aren't physically at our best
2: exactly and and you've kind of and you can take these that approach and just and that's where the leadership development side i think of coaching has really um, pushed to the forefront because it's not just about um X's and O's. It's not just about staff management. It's about how are you developing these young men into being more influential people, mm-hmm. take their personalities, get them out of their comfort zone to help not just them do the right thing, but help them help others do the right things and push through and be tougher and support them. Cause there's going to be days that we're, we're all over them and, you know, kind of kick them in the rear end and there's going to be days where we're going to give them hugs and kisses, but uh, yeah. you know, you, you gotta be opposite. You know, and that's that's the dichotomy that you've got to work with your leaders there about um, how to how to push through those thresholds. Right. You know? Understanding when when things aren't going well and, and what the approach is needed. You know, so what's the coach's message and how are we how are we at practice? Are you ready to be the 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 guy who takes the most blame but also helps out the most? It's very right. stressful.
1: It is. Young it is. Um, that's the art of coaching. Um, mm-hmm. back to some analytics and inefficiencies I've, I've been really interested in this uh since i was working with dave the late great dave huntley uh, mm. he was really into analytics i was his defensive coordinator and for the atlanta blaze one summer and um you know he had a lot of interesting stats on higher shooting percentages with your stick to the middle higher shooting percentages off the catch now you're seeing Joe Keegan come up with some interesting stuff saying higher shooting percentages off of two-man game and higher assist, assist shot rates. And we know assisted shots are score at a higher rate. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on and, – oh, and wing dodges being the highest of the efficiencies. I'm curious if you, if you have any um, light to shed on that that you've discovered.
2: Yeah, no, we, we certainly do. And we've designed a lot of our support – Uh, support around um, trends and not necessarily trends from the offense. It's just trends that we're seeing um, consistently about what we're giving up and when we're giving up and and where we seem to be the most vulnerable. So, you know, it's, it's almost like, Hey, if it gets to this spot, this has been a problem for us. We need to add support quickly or, Hey, our goaltenders make higher. These are higher percent of saves for our goaltenders. In this specific spot, we could be a little bit slower, you know, and then it's about preparation, about, you know, uh, knowing your personnel in, in, in ahead of time. Those statistical analysis in a game-by-game basis, how many times are they scoring on the run, how many assistant goals, how many off of the pick, we go through all of those per player or their most influential players. And that's allowing us to design this program or this this thought process of hot zones, right? Hey, this is a hot zone. Let's Let's get there quicker. And uh, we were really starting to push into that more and more. Um, you know, it started because we were such a younger defense. We were still kind of finding our way organizationally this year, Well, we were progressing. Coach Rogowski does such a great job at some of these hot zone principles that he had really started to push into that as we were starting to get more progressive through, through the season this year. Um, and all of those things that we talk about as – you talk about offensively about stick heads and, and body position. And, you know, uh, there, you know, we always talk about the type of dodges that we see them. Don't let the guy body position dictate how you play the ball, dictate where you're on the field, let you play the ball. And so areas of the field are more important to us in terms of just um, in, in when we are more on the stage stage. Let's um, let's um switch gears
1: here and talk a little bit about defense. What, um. What is your guys' defensive philosophy at Michigan, and how does it? How do you develop it?
2: So we start everything, you know, uh, we, we start everything on an individual basis, right? Because no matter what happens, you know, you could be the best defense in the world, uh, but you'll be able to slide one, two, three times in a row, but eventually you're going to be on an island in a one-on-one matchup, and you're going to have to win. So let's build you up as an individual through September, all the way through the off season, when, and, and make sure that you are the best on ball defender that you could be. And we start all of that with footwork and our hips. You know, uh, obviously efficiency and footworks with our toes. Where do our toes point and how are our hips in relationship with that? So your toes, obviously you wanna go cut the angles out. You know, a lot of times you'll see and coaches, hey, just get them down the side, right? Get him down the side, everything will be fine. You know, if you can do that, then all of a sudden, that's great if you're going to be able to support. Slide, recover, getting down the side is great. On that third or fourth time through, if you're just getting him down the side, now all of a sudden he has a freeway to the cage with hands break. Right. So we want to be able to win the matchup, whether he gets down the side or sweeps to the middle of the field. So we start with our hips to the corners. You know, if you look at kind of the field, we call them pylons, right? So the corner... Midline, inline, you want your hips with to the corner of that, those areas. You want this shoulder on top of the upfield shoulder, no matter what, right? So downfield shoulder, upfield shoulder. You're gonna defend the righty alley. This right here is on his left shoulder. So that'll help if he sweeps, you can you can point your toe in the other direction and flip your hips. If he goes down the side, you point your toe and you drive your hips into him. So you start there, and a lot of things become easier behind it because you can read it. Now all of a sudden it's like, hey, he just got beat. he didn't get his hands on a slide, right? He got to that hot zone. We could slide a lot more effectively, and then we can start incorporating our systems behind that. Um, so it's a really—we take a simplistic approach to it, a very simplistic approach, with the idea of use the athletic ability of our guys so that we are. Uh, you know, we're, we're still able to win some of those matchups, but never abandon anybody.
1: Yeah. When you are playing one-on-one defense, would you say you're, you're, you're backing off or moving laterally on their, on their move and on their approach, or is it a combination
2: or? It's definitely a combination because you don't want to get stuck in just laterals. You want to be able to open and close your hips as quickly as possible. Be, be an athlete where you can run and flip, you know? So, um, yeah, on sweeps and things of that nature. You don't want to just shuffle yourself up, field and jam. You want to be able to run, take the angle, because even if you're sweeping, they're sweeping outside the box. That's fine for us. Get them out of our kill zones. Get them yep. out of our head zones, right? So, um, you know, that that's where the speed of your, your D middies are the most important thing.
1: Yeah. And it depends on where you're picking people up to, right? I mean, if you're picking somebody up just outside the hashes, you can't really back off. You know, you're going to, to move laterally and get a get a chunk of them. And I, I ask only because I'm just so interested in, in these different scenarios. And sometimes when you watch – I've watched a fair amount of Matt Landis' video. And mm-hmm. he moves laterally. He doesn't back yeah. off, you know. No. You can back off and throw a little poke in there and get him to make an early break. And that's nice. But, but the guys that he's going against, you know, Jordan Wolf and Lyle Tom, you can't really do that. They're going to run mm-hmm. right at you. And you have to hold your ground and move laterally. And he doesn't really pick up all that far out because they are so fast. So that's why I was asking. I think it's really interesting because we all we kind of put defense in the bucket of stick out, back off. But in reality, you can't always do that.
2: No, you can't. And in a lot of it is you know, how your upper body relates to your lower body. Because if you take too many back off, you know, you're out, your body's going to pick up. But now you're a stick figure and you're yep. getting run by. Right. So we teach a one step back and then then we're gonna take lateral movements or we call it G. I. Joe running, you know, like the old G. I. Joe's where yeah. that were attached to the rubber bands, right? So your body, your your shoulders and your stick will stay square to the dodger, but now your lower body can twist where you can run this way, still have good square position, be able to plant without crossing over, you know, and be able to run that way. So that was a that was a term that uh Coach Rogowski introduced to us, G.I. Joe runs, Um, where you can, I don't know if our, our, our young guys understand what G.I. Joe is. We're going to have to go find one on eBay or something like that and just give them a demonstration. So
1: obviously your ability to win a matchup and, and cover is so key. Um, and, and I'm sure you look for that. recruiting. <laughs> I'll ask you about that later. But in the meantime, the guys that get on the field oftentimes have to also be your smartest players that can process what's happening. Because so many things happen so quickly with every pass, with every carry and every cut, which is all happening at the same time. They have to process these things and they have to be able to communicate things. So my question is, how do you develop that? And how do you how do you develop communication?
2: You know, that's the hardest thing to develop because we a lot of what we do and our abilities to win one-on-one matchups rely so heavily on what the guy next to me is doing. And right. he's not necessarily a slide, but right. he's gonna he's gonna take space away, right? He's there to take space away or give space, depending on what the offensive's doing. So, um, having that that mindset, um, you know, we we try to do as much as we can in terms of communication. We've gone to, you know, we we do everything. You know, we've gone to just listening drills where we set up, you know, like a a fun little obstacle course, and and one guy has to close his eyes and the other guy has to direct him through it. You know, it's. I mean, and then we do high-intensity drills where you have to take a guy out of the equation. We call it 656, which is one of my favorite drills. Yeah. and You're playing six-on-six. Six, you yell a guy's name out. He runs out. Now, all of a sudden, you are forced to communicate you know, in that odd-man situation. The, uh-oh, uh, oops, this just happened. Like the, oh, no. Like just communicate your way through it. And then that sense of urgency and speed while communicating is so important. Uh, you do a lot of odd-man drills. So that you can understand how to rotate, how how to get your inside out angles on, how to communicate who's next, how do you how do you guys work together and you create that chemistry by doing these odd man drills consistently on every level, 3v2, 2v1, 3v2, 4v3, 5v4, 6v5, you know, and then small sided drills where you know we're playing the the short field games almost the principles of box and all that so everybody is playing defense everybody's playing offense so the more experience they have just being next to each other and communicating with it having that mindset of i have to tell my teammate something to do yeah and then going over what it what does communication mean what does it mean to be a communicator we read an awesome article as a group a couple years ago from coach Krzyzewski about communication right? What does it mean to be a communicator? How do you effective communicator? One, name, right? Use a name, Yeah. right? So as soon as you say a name, the next part is easy, eye contact. Once you use a name, that eye contact is almost automatic. You know, as soon as someone says my name, I look up, right? What's going on? What do you need? And then that eye contact turns into understanding and direction with verbal and nonverbal communication. So you can say, hey, move to the right and then, you know, point so that you, uh, he understands that, you know he's going to go into that direction which you're pointing. So, even yeah. though know, I pointed with my left, but you know, I guess you get the idea. I do, so, I do. And
1: I think you know, there's so many <laughs> communication. They're so hard. I mean, just the pure volume for one.
2: You know, mm-hmm. you're inflection not, is so important. Yeah. Inflection, just express how important it is to you yeah. by being able to speak clearly yeah. with a short burst. You right. know, it, it, So inflection is important as well.
1: You know, and and it's kind of like I don't know. It's like it's a learned trait of being able to process quickly enough to be able to say it. And it's kind of like you know when you when you think back on a conversation, and you're like, damn, I I should have said this. You know, and it's Absolutely. kind of the same thing when you're playing defense. It's like it's 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 like it happens so quickly. You got to be able to think on your feet, and you just got to be in these situations enough that you can process it quickly. And I I think that's why we always love basketball players on defense because they tend to play a ton of pickup hoops and therefore they literally just get used to being like hey kevin pick left switch
2: yeah absolutely you know a lot of it is recruiting a lot of it is because you we try to recruit multi-sport athletes you know who do a lot of different things defensively we like basketball players we do um it's also study habits work ethic you know, if you have your iPad and you're, you're watching practice reps, you're watching game film, you're watching all the stuff, it's going to start becoming second nature to you and it'll slow down. Right. So you have the background of multi-sports. You have the idea that, oh, you know, this is just like basketball, right? It's, it's, it's the same game I've been playing since right. I was 10 years old in the YMCA, right? So get that concept, that communication down, just make that correlation. And uh, it, it's, it, it speeds up the communication.
1: I have this theory that that we all love multi-sport athletes, but what we realize is we actually like them better when they're multi-sport pickup athletes also.
2: Absolutely. I, yeah, we say multi-sport athletes. Yeah, organized athletics is great. But if you just have a guy who likes to be athletic, yeah. hey, I just I went out back and we played flag football or, uh, you know, I went to the Y and, and I got a quick lift in and then played two hours of pickup hoops, right. you know, like. Just, you don't have to be an organized.
1: You don't. It's In just, fact, the structure of organized will oftentimes set you back because you'll try to be doing something that someone's telling you to do. And oftentimes it's a broad stroke of these things you're supposed to do when really if you were figuring it out on your own, you know, you, you, you would probably figure it
2: out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just like raising kids, right? The, the incorporation of free play. Go and be creative and do something on your own. You know, you don't have to sit here and do your workbook and be structured so that you can pass the test. You need to learn life skills so that you can, you can better function in society. So go be creative, use your imagination, and just and mess up, mess up a ton. So that by the time we're about in the field, we eliminate a lot of those mistakes already.
1: Yeah. A, a lot of fake fundamentals, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you're told you always do this or you never do that. And mm-hmm. in fact, it's kind of like, I laugh um, when you think about like coaches, or like U.S. across will be like, no raking. Okay, so if the ball's like right on the sideline, are you going to scoop through and run out of bounds?
2: No, <laughs> yeah, no. It's right? situational. Situational awareness is what it's deep, right? <laughs> situational awareness. Things you can't simulate in practice. You know, you can't simulate this in a textbook. Just go and go figure it out, you know? Some of the oh. best guys are ground ball hawks, you know, started off as hockey players. No
1: doubt. And that's it. It was just like a constant scrap for the puck and they just got a sense for how to lift that stick. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and I, I think what you find too, with like these sort of backyard sports is just the matchup. You learn how to match up on both sides. You learn how to defend the guy. They learn how to defend you. And then the gamesmanship begins of, Oh, he stopped me on that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fake that. And then on both sides in that, you don't learn that in structure unfortunately you learn that from just doing it and i think that's one of the serious levels of iq on both sides of the ball that kind of gets lost in in all structure that we love in our multi sport athletes
2: mm-hmm. yeah we've actually done we we've tried to incorporate more play just free play drills just kind of creative there are no rules to this drill the only rule is you get a point when this ball goes into that net you know so uh, yeah, we, we, we're still trying to incorporate that, and we call them drills because we have to call it something. But they're yeah. just they're say, just free play.
1: Free, yeah. free yeah. drill might be an oxymoron. It, it, it completely <laughs> is. And,
2: you know, so uh, I, I try not to label them, but we just yeah we I have know. a drill bag, so I got to call it a drill to get outside.
1: I love your three on two scrap inside the uh, whatever it was, maybe the girls' lines or something.
2: Yeah, the, The cone of silence, the cone of silence, the cone of silence, yeah. Yeah. Coach Turi brought that with him from, from a couple of his spots. And uh, it's a great, it's a great drill to teach just, you know, tight spaces, toughness, get a tough ground ball, compete, um, you know, get whacked, but it's okay, you know, and uh, sell out, just sell out for anything.
1: I must've seen that in three or four different programs on my, on my RV trip. Yeah. Definitely, they did that at Albany. They definitely did it at Navy. You guys did it. It was pretty interesting. What a, what an awesome drill. All right, let's switch gears again. Um, can you talk a little bit about your offensive philosophies at Michigan?
2: Yeah, you know, I, we believe that there is, you know, philo- philosophically, we're gonna build you up fundamentally to help you be the best, similar to what we do defensively. We're gonna work on your individual game. We're gonna put you in a, a structure that is um, easy to manipulate and encourages. After the first couple steps, encourages read, react, and you know, create some space by giving space. Um, you know, fundamentally sound, obviously, but also your ability to create and use space is something that um, has been really—it's been fun to watch. Coach Cherry's done a great job organizing this offense and to say we're not just going to be. You know, we're not going to run set pieces. We're not just going to run, you know, four or five different sets. We're going to be really, really good at this one look, you know, and then everybody's going to be interchangeable. So, you know, we're going to put guys behind who normally are up top, guys up top, we're moving behind. So um, it allows, you know, that, that sense is that we're going to have a guy in front of you when you need help. We're going to have a guy behind you when you need help. We're going to have guys through lanes, but you have to be creative, find it. And if you don't, move it quick. You know, it's like the uh, we don't want one guy, you know, with the ball and a stick for you know ten seconds. You know, we only have sixty seconds to work with. Right. Test it, move it, create space. Test it, move it, create space. Um, so um, that area has been has been where I think we've seen the most growth. You know, especially with some of the players we've had as veterans who are savvy, who understand. Uh, spacing and alignments and and just um, and that allowed us to incorporate some of the younger guys um, to really adapt and move off of those guys and um, you know and, and like just like just like every other sport right you're going to understand eventually you got to come to terms and understand who's the who's your teammate is what his tendencies are where he's going to be excuse me make that connection because he's going to do something and you have to react to it but if he does something consistently, you know what he's going to do, right? So let's keep let's keep growing that philosophy. If you keep doing it in five, six different sets or five or six different set pieces, then you don't get that comfortability piece. Right. Let's be simple. Let's be disciplined. Let's be organized. But more importantly, let's just let's just be really good at that, you know. And and uh, it's like Chuck Noll, right? Chuck Noll is going to run the ball, and then we're going to run the ball, and then we're going to run the ball, and then next we're going to run the ball. Right, so let's just be really good at this this one aspect, um, and then we can adapt and learn from how the defenses play.
1: Now, is that one aspect uh, have a lot to do with player development?
2: Absolutely, it's it's our main focus in our entire program is player development. Uh, we believe wholeheartedly right, that we're going to get you better from day one until you leave. You know, and, and it's just repetitions, repetitions, repetitions. Incredible. Again, like we talked about, the people, right? We have incredible teachers, Coach Rogowski, Coach. Curry, for turn, develop players. Uh, so we have multiple uh, multiple segments in each practice for player development.
1: You talk about you got to have strong fundamentals. How do you define fundamentals? I feel like in this day and age where you got to be able to score 19 or 20 goals to win a game sometimes, that maybe there's a, a, going to be a new definition of fundamental.
2: You know, that's an interesting question. You know, I think uh, I've thought about it a few times. Um, you know, I think it's just, if you can make it happen, right? You know, if you get comfortable here, now all of a sudden you can do it here. If you can catch it here, you know, it's about completion, right? Uh, right. Turnovers. You know, if you're, if you're going to shoot the ball underhand and be a 10% shooter, it's not fundamental. If you've gotten yourself comfortable where you can drop it low and raise it high, you know, and, and score consistently in that, it's fundamental. You know, it's just about um, completion. Uh, limit turnovers and complete the play if it's a behind the back pass but it's right here the and the guy can complete the play fundamentally sound it's all about the repetitions in order for your for your comfortability to complete the play if you cannot do it you know if it's inconsistent if it's too easy to save it's a poor them
1: yeah i agree interesting and that comes back to the analytics and so it's now it's like okay we're going to develop you um and we're going to give you some rope um but um you know we can't have turnovers, and we have to have a a, a, a shooting percentage of, you know, what do you guys want? Thirty, thirty-two percent, thirty-three
2: percent? Thirty-three percent would be our you know, ideal. I think if you're a thirty-three percent shooter, you're you're pretty good. Anything more, you're special. Um, you know, I you know, and it's just again the same thing. We break down shooting. Every shot that you take, we've 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 cataloged it. You know, we've looked at it and said, hey, you are scoring a lot when you do this certain motion, when you do this motion you are missing the cage an awful lot. So there's something going on with your stick, you need to spend extra time with that motion or re- get yourself to just this consistent motion. So it's uh, a lot of film study.
1: Yeah. Interesting. A lot of times when I look at shooting, I look more at what the goalie did mm-hmm. than almost anything else. Did, whether it went in or whether it was saved or whether you missed, those are all important, you know, end results but I think I just got this from listening to so many box players that really don't care if they miss the shot or if he saves it, because what they're doing is they're cataloging what the goalie does so that the next time they know what they can do to be able to hit their spot. Um, and I know you've recruited some Canadians and, and, and have had mm-hmm. some good ones um, and we all love the way they shoot and, and, and a lot of the sort of slick things that they do. Um, I was just curious on your thoughts on, on that sort of philosophy on really deceptive shooting and what is the goalie doing and how much do you spend time judging that?
2: That's really interesting. Uh, I think one of the guys that I always kind of look back on and say who was really good at that um, was Connor Ford. Connor Ford i played with. Um, he was on staff for, with us for a year or two. And he would always be like, hey, I shot this here because I know I'm going to get the same shot. And he's going to think I'm going to put it there but I'm going to put it there, you know, and, and he was a excellent mind shooter. Um, and it is important. It is important. I don't think you can go into a game and go, Hey, this guy always does this in certain opportunities and when you look at goaltenders, but you, you could be a setup, goal, uh, setup shooter for sure. Um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to waste an oper- a great shooting opportunity when you want to be able to catalog and say, Ooh, Hey, you know, that guy just went into a split. You know, I can, you know, if I drop my hands again, if he goes down, I can roof it on him and and feel pretty good about that. Or, um, you know, I noticed that, you know, on these through passes, he ain't getting pipe to pipe, you know, I can snake it near pipe, you know, it's just like we talked about Kyle Harrison. Kyle Harrison knew when he skidirted and he went up for an elevated shot, that little spot was normally open. So, um, you know, it was just based on goalie tendencies.
1: For sure. My, uh, one of the smartest shooting coaches I've ever talk to is this guy Darius Kilgore, Canadian box cross player and he says every time you're shooting, every time you shoot you're telling a story to the goalie. I love that quote and it's true because you you don't want to waste a shot and you definitely don't want to waste a shot by telling a goalie uh write that down. down. telling the goalie the true story. You know, the question is is it, is it fact or fiction the story you're telling? Um and it's uh it's incredibly interesting, and I think it, it it basically opens up your margin for error when you can handcuff a goalie just a little bit, yeah. um, because you you can then you know you don't have to be that accurate or as accurate. When people shoot in their backyard, they tend to pick their corner, and wind up, rip it, um, and then admire the shot as it's going right into the corner, hitting the pipe and going in. And meanwhile, what they're doing is they're they're practicing telling telling the goalie exactly where they're shooting it. And that's that's a really hard that's a hard thing. But I think, you know, when you think about Canadian shooters, that's in box across generally box across type players. That's that's what they kind of have to do in that environment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Less margin for error for sure. Those big pads in such a little cage, you know. Totally.
1: We got a little uh, – I'll I'll throw the box gear on in the backyard every now and then and let the kids shoot on me. Not with the cross balls, mind you. Definitely.
2: <laughs> We've gotten full. Yeah, we we put a whole box program together in the last two years that we really like. It's just fun, so you fun. know, but it's the same thing. It's like we don't teach anything. We just, hey, here's the structure. Here's what you need to do. You need to put the, the white ball in the cage. Yeah, you guys go ahead and, and figure it out. Use the picks and, and all this stuff. and Let's just have some fun with it. Let's do this free play concept with, you know, hey, yeah. just – Set
1: picks.
2: That's, that's going to be our mindset.
0: Set picks. In right. the middle. <laughs> Don't that take out Yeah. I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the Air Gate? Well, that was me and goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with a design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent premium watches without the premium price check us out at oxiatime.com that's a-x-i-a time.com
1: um okay last topic here i want to talk a little bit about recruiting and i know that we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's very uh very questionable as to when the recruiting process will get started but the principles will remain the same um what are you guys looking for in goalies
2: you know I think when we look for goaltenders, we, we kind of look at, you know, like you said before, it's interesting. What happens when you get scored on? Are you so far off? You know, are you here when the ball's going here? Or are you here and just missing? And then we look at footwork to make sure that we have um, explosive footwork. And I think that's something that we like to, to always kind of manage. We don't want a guy to just stand there. Um, we do think, you know, at some point, if you have good footwork and your hands are not as fast as they need to be, A lot of the times you can frame that shot and get hit, you know, so that the ball still doesn't go in the net. Um, So footwork and explosiveness. And then what are you doing and how are you getting scored on? Um, You know, are you, are you almost there or are you so far off? Right. So I think that's important. I think the other side is just, you know, um, stick work. Can you catch it? And can you out with it? You know, I think when you all, when you design your program, if you can have that sense, like my goaltender can catch a shot, without a rebound because like we get a lot of Canadians we play against they're really crafty around the crease. You make the save, let's complete it. Let's get it up and out. And let's go. I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Well
1: especially in the 20 second shot clock era. I mean 20 second clearing clock era. You mm-hmm. know, having a goalie that can make a play for you.
2: You know, yeah, whether it's
1: like Adam Gittleman running it out, you know, or oh, yeah. dropping dimes. But it's it yeah. is important. And catching it, I think catching a catching a shot has more to do with a bad shot than a great goalie. Although I think there's, there's definitely some goalies that block them more than catch them. But, you know, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. in the MLL, if you took a bad shot, it was, it was a five on four and it was going to be a goal.
2: <laughs> well, that's a part of it, right? They, I mean, you got to be able to exploit bad shots. You know, if you're going to call that a bad shot or a or, or solid goaltender, however you categorize it, it still, that needs to be offense, you know, and your offense starts with goaltender.
1: I've been thinking a lot about goalies lately. I work with a couple and I've uh, have, had have, like I spoke with Blaze Reardon yesterday and Dylan Warren for oh, yeah. um and just looking at these goalies, and it's so interesting at the highest level how how different they are. I mean, Blaze, he said he's like, Yeah, I I stand up straight, my legs are kind of together, I'm straight up. And you know, and then you look at you know, Jack Kelly, and he's got a really wide low stance, and look at Tim Troutner and you talk about feet. Well, he he anchors leg. He like anchors his left leg, and Dylan Moore does that a little bit too. And it's yeah. just so interesting to look. And I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier, which is like, well, what is fundamental? Saving the ball,
2: <laughs> catching. <laughs> yeah, right. The ball didn't go in the net, and so he completed it, right? You know, some people that they define that as, you know, saving the ball while you're on your butt, you know, and yeah. in a flop in in a split, right? And some people can say, you know. I framed the shot, and I had a safety step. And obviously, we have an ideal, but yeah, um, you know, I think whatever gets have done, man, let's just don't change them, just make them better. Right.
1: What are your What's your philosophy on goalies that cut off angle if they see somebody with time and room? Do you believe in stepping out and cutting down that angle, or would you rather have somebody sit back?
2: Nah, it's it's totally case by case dependent. It all depends on your hand speed. You know, if you can step out and cut and give them an extra, you know, and give yourself. Or lose a yard or two you know that's that's pretty hard you know and um you, know, you guys in the past uh the old navy goalies who would be basically yeah. out of the cave, out of the crease when you're shooting at them yeah it's really hard to defend but if you got a howitzer you can still blow by him um but uh you know ideally you know you'd like to be in a position where you can cut some angle um and then cut some angle to your strengths you know yeah. almost bait them without baiting them
1: yeah Best of both worlds, right? Because, you know, you watch these guys make the the transition from college to pro, and they're not sitting back in their goal Mm -hmm. on a two-point shot. (laughs) They're stepping out because they they know they're probably not going to catch up to it anyway, so they might as well not give the guy any net to see. You know, that's one of the hardest things for a shooter that, you know, for Canadians a little bit less so. They're used to not seeing net. They, They always talk about the eyes on your stick can see things that the eyes in your head cannot. And Americans don't grow up with that. In fact, we grow up seeing net, and we don't really want to shoot until we see net, even when we're dodging. Um, and so, I think there's a little bit of an advantage on that. But I think we there was just a whole trend over the years of back in your back in your net, and mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting to kind of look at. Like, do you look at Dylan Ward? He does that. Um, I kind of joke that if you saw a recruit stepping out like Dylan Ward steps out, you might cross him off the list. <laughs> Just because yeah, it's, it's not core, you know, fundamental.
2: Yeah.
1: Interesting stuff though. Okay, so how, how about defensemen? What are you looking for in defensemen? And I'm sure you recruit different, you know, you don't want everyone the same. What are the kind of different guys you're looking for in those characteristics?
2: Yeah, I think we can break them down. It's simple. It's like you got your one, your two, and your threes, right? You got your one guy who can win a matchup. You look for your footwork, right? How fast are his feet? You know, can he stay with the guy and shadow with the guy? Um, your two can he stay with a guy while still communicating and then your three is like hey we need a leader we need a general you know i'm not really asking you to be a cover guy or maybe you're a big strong guy and you can handle big strong guys and not necessarily the, the little quick guys um, you know i think those are all categories that you got to look for everybody has to have the iq right and, and that game sense uh, because defense nowadays are slide recover slide recover Uh, but I think also uh, there needs to be kind of categorically who's going to play who at which time, because, you know, all the offenses, you know, they're, they're, you got small, quick guys, you got big, strong guys, you got, um, you know, the off ball guys who can finish. And so who's going to cover that type of guy. And so we're, we're prognosticating to a point where this guy would be really good on a small, quick guy who can change direction. Um, and then you look at you know the next phase is toughness and competition. That's every every spot. Everybody we recruit and everybody we we talk about is uh, toughness and competition.
1: Yeah, and that's that's got to be across the board in everything you do.
2: Everything we do, everything we do.
1: What about um, what's your take on um, on guys that can put the ball on the ground? Some people have a knack for that. Call it fundamental or not. Some people like throw sticks around the field. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah you know, i think i think there is a market for that i think there is a guy who can be exciting you know and, and um you know it, it it takes a special guy but you know uh matt Newfelt was really good at that he could be in the open field and just kind of find a way to dig one out and, and pick up a yeah. tough ground ball so he was he was a special guy at that uh those guys are fewer and far between i will say that because you got to be able to keep your feet moving while doing it yeah and um you know, those are, those are really good football guys. For sure. The sticks, the stick engineering these days, it really doesn't allow you to put exactly. the ball on the deck as much. Yeah. I was just watching some highlights of Pat McCabe about how he was putting the ball in the deck. I was like, oh man, well, the stick's like that, yeah. you know? So it makes it a little bit easier, but uh, the talent level there about just the creativity, um, you know, so some of those old Syracuse defensemen can just have a knack for it.
1: I was watching some uh, Petro footage the other day.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, when you play for Petro, and then you watch him play, and you're like, "How did that guy come become the guy who coached me?" You <laughs> <laughs> go over your
1: head so fast that uh, whether he yeah, got it yeah. or not, it didn't really matter because he was like right back where he needed to be.
2: Absolutely, he was—he was special. Yeah, he was for sure.
1: Um and and then of course, you know, stick work. I I I think that's so important for defensemen, and I feel like so many defensemen get relegated to just being like cones in practice at the youth and high school level, where they're not really, you know, as skilled as they could be. And, and frankly, you know, there's no reason why you, you can't be the, as skilled as anybody on the team just because you use a longer stick doesn't mean you can't have such a man up type of skills. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I think everybody on the field needs to be a scoring threat at any point, you know. So if you're if you have rocks for hands and you can't run it up, up over the field, it's kind of hard to put you on there because you're a liability. We need to be able to push tempo no matter what. It is so hard to score six on six these days. Um, so especially within the time constraints that we've been given, you know, you're averaging 60 seconds of shot clock to you know, 60 to 65 seconds of shot clock in order to generate a quality shot. Um, so if you can score within the first 15 to 20 with odd man opportunities, polls, you know, just being opportunistic, right? it's pretty it's pretty important to have you know and we encourage everybody we do shooting drills we do grab ball drills and we make sure that we're pushing tempo and having really good fundamentals but realistically being creative and be a part of this thing yeah you know so be able to set a pick and come off it and score with your off hand. you know so that's that's kind of part of the the free play idea that we talked about before
1: well you kind of look at like the canadian poles. you know brody merrill didn't pick up a poll until he was Like sixteen or seventeen years old, and he he had a pole that went up to about under his chin, partly partly because he didn't really want a full length stick. Yeah, (laughs) pretty uh, pretty amazing. And I think also too, if you look at you know your analytics, you know the worst goals you give up are are the bad off ball goals and Mm -hmm. failed clears. Like those are the killers, you know. Those are the killers. Yeah, we all we all want the cover guy until we look at you know, a failed clear that cost you or, you know, a blown coverage that was, should have been like relatively routine. Mm -hmm. Your shorties, man. That's why you got to have shorties. How about them? How about that position? You recruiting shorties?
2: Uh, You know, I think we try to be, our guys and our philosophy in our program is you got to be able to play no matter where you are. Offensive defense, you know. So you need to be skilled in order to push transition as a shorty, but you also need to be fast and athletic. You need to be have that little bit of grit to you. You got to be pretty gritty. Um, so you know that that ground ball grit end up being your short sticks a lot of time. because you know if you're gritty enough to go get a tough ground ball after, after a scrum, you're probably pretty gritty enough to to get someone to a, a good spot and just be physical. Um, you know, and and. Uh, and those are the guys that you really love. they like the, the hoops guys, you know, those guards who can play defense. Those are the guys that you really love as your short, as your short sticks.
1: And some guys just have a knack for not getting shook.
2: It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, you know, again, I think it goes back to Moki sports, right? You know, I think guys have been playing cornerback against their buddies in the backyard or play cornerback for their high school team, you know, or, or guys play point guard at YMCA or play point guard on their hoops team in high school. They just have that knack, you know, uh, soccer players you know, have that knack for open space and not getting beat to certain areas and angles and all that, so um, it's, it's. Uh, I'm a big believer and I was a multi-sport guy, so um, I, I like those, we like those multi-sport guys.
1: So uh, as far as offensive players, you you just sort of mentioned that you like to have 2A, a certain amount of 2 way middies. Um, yeah, a certain amount, yeah. But are you playing more positionless lacrosse where you're going to recruit guys who can just play offense?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, if you're a really talented attackman but you have three really talented attackmen in front of you, you're going to come out of the box, right? So yeah. we'll recruit lacrosse players. You know, if we're going to find you on the, in the midfield, we're going to find you in the attack position. It's just You can get the job done. We'll get you on the field, you know. And uh, I think one of the more important things for us is what you do when things don't go Our way, you turn the ball over or anything like that. That's the mentality that we're looking for. We we put a heavy emphasis on our team and our philosophy, our attack. Their first principle is riding. You you are a rider, right? Because that gets you another opportunity to play offense. If you have that set, if you have that mindset, if you're a riding attacker and and, you know, uh, that's our core principles there through the attack position. Yeah,
1: interesting. And and what about when you're looking? I, I feel like for offensive players the The box you have to be able to check is usually dodging.
2: But usually, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like, there's you, you're going to recruit your lefty goal scorer, and there's some. But at the end of the day, though, you're you're like, all right, if they put a shorty on this guy, you know, is it going to like stop up our offense? Maybe mm-hmm. some people don't have to worry about that, but some people do. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to be a successful dodger, you know. And I I think back to the to so the Kyle Harrison, Paul Rabel, Stephen Pizer days, you know, it was kind of defined by, you know, long dodges and speed. Um, and then you look at a guy that you had to compete against a few years in, like Ryder Garnsey, who, you know, isn't bigger, faster, stronger, but has figured out a way to score one-on-one goals and create offense in different ways. I'm curious how you sort of judge that and evaluate that.
2: Yeah, I think um, you have to sometimes just have a knack for scoring, you know, and create it whether they're taking you out to the top of the wing and running by somebody, you know, or, you know, I coached a guy named uh, Tim Rotans, who, you know,
0: pretty yep. good athlete,
2: but really his best attributes on how he got to the gauge was just, you know, psyching you out as a defender because he just looked slow and then all of a sudden he turned it on. It's like Ryder, you know, he would like kind of jog and then tuck it and all of a sudden he was topside. You're like, how did you even get to that spot? You know, like like what 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 were you doing while he was just kind of standing there, you know? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys, who have knack, guys just have a knack, you know. I think you once you're you're watching these guys play and all of a sudden you're looking down and you're keeping score and you're like, hey, that guy has a ton of goals, you know, and um and it all comes in all different shapes and sizes. So it's um yeah, I think there's 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 something to be said about that. You can't just go out there with a bunch of horses. All has to go into the back of the net.
1: No doubt. And, well, you also mentioned, too, with your defensive philosophy, you know, um, you're, the, a, a good defense is going to crowd you. And you're going to have to figure out how to get a shot when, when there's not enough space to just keep running, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to be able to just, like, make a move and snap one off on the run. But more, 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 more often than not, you're re-dodging. You're faking.
2: Mm-hmm. You're
1: pumping through a gap. You're using sort of post-up moves even in the midfield. You know, to roll back and sort of almost like a midfield island, and I think that's one. That's partly where the game is sort of progressing, especially as you get more skilled players in the midfield.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree there. And, and again, it goes back to the, you know, if you're a really talented offensive player, you'll find your way on the field. You know, whether you're the fourth attackman or the top midi. You know, so um, everybody kind of is able to do, you know, everything. You know, you, you should be able to play behind the goal. You should be able to play in top front of the goal. And versatility is you know, really important for us and part of that program. You know, we feel like we can move a guy like Joshua. Wada He can play in front of the goal. Right? He gets on a high wing, he's explosive. Or we can put him behind the ball, and he's creative and, and has incredible vision. So uh, those are the guys that, you know, uh, that we enjoy. You know, I think that's the that's certain priority when we put guys on the field.
1: Awesome stuff. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on, man. I love talking lacrosse with you and I uh, really appreciate your time.
2: No problem. Thanks again for having me.